Hello and welcome back to Advocata's Reset Now podcast. My name is Avishka, your host for today, and I have with me Rohan Masakorala, our guest speaker. Rohan has 30 years of experience in exports, shipping, logistic, ports, warehousing and supply chain management with administrative and operational experience in the public and private sector in Sri Lanka, Singapore and Australia. He is the owner of Shippers Academy International and the honorary CEO of Shippers Academy Colombo as well. He also acts as the Director General, Sri Lanka Association of Manufacturers and Exporters of Rubber Products. In the past, he has served as a board member for numerous government institutions such as the Sri Lanka Ports Authority, Ceylon Shipping Corporation, Central Freight Bureau, as well as acted in an advisory capacity to ministers and ministries. It's a pleasure to have him on our podcast today. Rohan, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Avishka. Thank you. Nice to be here. So before we kind of get into the details, um, could you perhaps give us a bit of an overview of what Sri Lanka's shipping industry looks like? Yeah, Sri Lanka's shipping industry has been um, uh, evolving since 1977, but very slowly, I would say. Uh, we are still what we call a transshipment port in the region. Uh, we failed to achieve a status of a maritime or a logistics hub over a 40-year period, although the economy was open. Uh, but it is uh, playing a leading role in South Asia as the number one transshipment port, and it is also globally ranked number 22, 23 annually among container ports for transshipment. So it has a reputation of uh, the best connectivity port in South Asia, uh, and it has the deepest draft terminals in South Asia. So it has uh, built a reputation as a transshipment hub. But beyond that, the port sector have been properly not managed, I would say, to go into the next level. So we all we have been our authorities, politicians have been always only uh, being happy about talking about the transshipment numbers, which is a, a vulnerable business. It can go to another competitor. It's, it's, uh, it's like tourism. I mean, tourism can move suddenly. Uh, due to various reasons. So being alone as a transshipment hub is uh, sometimes a threat. We need to expand our tentacles beyond the transshipment model. So Sri Lanka, since liberalizing the economy, I would say partially liberalized the economy in the 1970s. The partial shipping liberalization came in the 1990s, 89, 90. Um, and since then, it has been kind of a stagnant and a partial growth and partial infrastructure development. There has been no proper strategy or a focus uh, for a considerable long time. I would say two decades of unplanned, unfocused way of doing things had led to Sri Lanka's stagnation in many areas in the port sector, which should, have, which should not have been the case. Uh, we had a lot of potential, I think. Everybody has got into a mindset of talking of a location, but converting the location into a real business model like our main, uh, if you look at east of us uh, is Singapore and west of us is Jabalali, which came into the fray much later than us in terms of growth. And there are a number of other ports that have grown around us, so we are now facing competition. So Colombo has had a lot of weaknesses uh, 
and not yielded its true potential. Um, thank you for that. So just to follow up a bit on uh, what you talk about transshipping and kind of the competition, my understanding is a lot of the transshipments we do uh, are to India. Um, but now recently, India too has been kind of moving in to uh, develop these ports. So when we face this kind of uh, competition, what exactly, one, do we need to kind of leap forward and stay ahead of the pack? And two, also, uh, you said we need to move beyond this transshipment. What kind of needs to be done to unlock that potential? Okay, so let me put it like this. We have actually not even um, catered to the demand. For example, our terminals are eight years behind schedule for the growth that was around the region. So when, when capacity is not built on time, what happens to that business? It goes into other ports. Our competitors are always looking at getting the same business. So Sri Lanka has lost capacity, I would say, from actually 2005 onwards. Even when the South Port came into operation in 2013, uh, we were about five to six years behind. Today, we are definitely six to eight years behind of what we should have been. So we have got stuck with uh, two deep terminals, not operative yet. Adani came in later, but East Terminal, which was supposed to start operations by 2020, um, after five years delay, is now seems to be coming into operation, probably fully operational by 25, 26, which is going to be a lot, huge opportunity cost for us. Because what happens is po our ports are clients for international shipping lines. Now, as I said, we are only a known to be container port. But there are bulk carriers, vehicle carriers, various gas carriers, multiple areas in the shipping industry, which we are not even properly touched. So we have two other ports, uh, that is Trincomalee, which handles less than 4% of the total tonnage of Sri Lanka. Uh, Hambantota is uh, operational, but it has not gone into potential after 11 years. Although the Chinese have come in, there is still the, the, the growth of uh, RORO, that is vehicle operations, and they are trying to build it into bulk port uh, and uh, also a container port in the future. So yet to perform for what its potential was, because it was opened in somewhere in 2011. Right, so now 20, 12, 10, 12 years gone. It has not yielded what it was supposed to be. Uh, Colombo port is behind its terminal. So as you said, our country's main catchment area, we call it India and Bangladesh. And 80% of India's and Bangladesh cargo, we, we get to Colombo not from India's uh, uh, west coast, but we get it from India's east coast and Bangladesh. That is. That comprises about 85 to 90 percent of the transshipment volume. Now that also has been dropping because competitors are they are out there doing various things to take grab the business. Of course, Singapore is expanding into a massive port of 65 million container port. Currently, they handle about within Singapore they handle about for close to 38 million containers annually. So they have built capacity up to 65 million. So shipping lines have been given the message that they have enough capacity for them to come and there is already an established ecosystem in Singapore for multiple services of shipping, which includes the number one port in the world for bunkering. Then we have uh, two ports in Malaysia for transshipment competing with us. And then we have on the other side, um, Dubai, 
uh, UAE has number of ports, Abu Dhabi and Dubai also. And also in Salala Oman, a port was built because actually that port was built because of the lateness of Sri Lanka to get into private-public partnerships. Uh, so that port is also competing. And then, of course, India's East Coast, uh, that is uh, led by Jawaharlal Nehru Port in Mumbai, is growing, and there is also transshipment potential there. And India is trying to build other transshipment ports also at the moment. So all this together has given a lot of challenges to Sri Lanka. And in fact, 2022, Sri Lankan port of Colombo has been one of the worst performing transshipment ports compared to others in the region uh, due to multiple reasons, including capacity issues, other one is policy issues. Okay, so I think um, the picture you painted really shows that one, uh, we have been underperforming, though we always talk of turning Sri Lanka into this maritime and logistics kind of hub, though we are geographically well positioned, and also the competition is now gaining. So what would you say are some of the reforms that we need to kind of get started on um, to be able to keep up with this in the first place and then to actually reach potential? Yeah, so I would call it there are two things to be done. What is what is called the hardware reforms and the software reforms, uh, if you put it in IT terms. The infrastructure, okay, we are short of deep draft terminals. As I said, we have five to eight years at actually short of capacity. So we have not given the signals to international ship owners that Colombo is ready for their vessels, the larger vessels that are being built. Close to 20% of the global fleet is now becoming extra large ships. Now, only few ports can handle those. So Colombo was one only one in South Asia, but now um, the other countries are also looking at deeper, deep draft ports. So India is planning to build a port in Andaman Islands. There's been announced a $5 billion investment. Uh, Singapore has already enough capacity. UAE has expanded. Salala is there. Saudi Arabia is building a port. I'm talking of the Indian Ocean major hubs. Uh, whereas Colombo also has that 17 meter, 18 meter draft uh, up to 21 meter, it can bring in ships. But we have only three berths, which has been completed in 2013, and that is chock-a-block. So if a shipping line, five shipping lines want to come today, they have to wait out a harbor to get a slot, which, is, which they are not going to waste money, because every hour costs about $20,000 for a ship. Uh, so we have not provided the necessary capacity uh, and the infrastructure. So we need to invest. And for investment, the government has tried to do its own business and failed. And it has closed doors for certain investments. We know the East Container Terminal. Now, after that debacle of East Container Terminal, they went and gave Adani the West Container Terminal, and that will take another good two to three years to come even to operate. So Colombo is going to lose volume over the next uh, two to three years. Uh, and at the same time, the parallel com countries are ha having a lot of competition being built up, infrastructure. Um, and Sri Lanka is, of course, uh, has also has a protectionist laws. So foreign ship owners can't have their own office here. Uh, they have been barred by giving uh, protection from the government on, on, um, on uh, agency businesses. So if a foreign company wants to have 51% of their own office, they have been shot down with the regulation, which none of our competitor hub ports have. Not even competitor hub ports, even India has fully opened up for foreign ship owners. Bangladesh now is opening up. Even Pakistan is giving foreign ship owners. So in South Asia, we are talking of a hub, maritime hub without the owners. 
you can't convert any industry, whether it is tourism, banking, financial sector, you need to have the foreign companies presence here, foreign brands presence here. Now, you, nobody will see the international brands presence in shipping lines here. You will only see the local agents brands who are having multiple agencies of those ship owners. Right? Some of them are probably illegal to do it under federal maritime law because same, same companies holding agencies of competing shipping lines in the world and their board of directors here can see the customers, everything, everything. So there's a problem of kind of oligopolistic industry also within the agency business. So that is the, one of the legal barriers. So we have the infrastructure barriers, we have the legal barriers, then of course on the soft side we have the digitalization barriers, the border, border system barriers, inefficient customs, port procedures, uh, port being not a proper landlord, but its own operator and regulator. Right, which has conflicts of interest. Uh, so on, the, on the, those technical sides also, there are a lot of uh, barriers that uh, Sri Lanka has created itself, not by anybody else. Otherwise, foreign shipping lines are willing to come to Sri Lanka, they are willing to invest in Sri Lanka, provided we open up the system like any other country like Singapore or UAE. UAE had a sleeping partner system that was also eliminated about two years back. Okay. Yeah, I think so. The idea I'm getting is we basically have uh, three main areas of reform. So uh, if we can jump into, like first, like you said, the infrastructural area. So recently, yes, the West Terminal was handed over to uh, Adani. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts first on uh, how that process went, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, there wasn't an auction process. Um, do you know why? Was it to was it to make sure like it was speedy, or uh, what exactly was the rationale? Number of that? factors. One was, of course, uh, I would say straight away that there were political issues created to this port. Uh, geopolitics also involved in this. Uh, as you know, the East container, let's start from East, how Adani came into the West, because West was not an option for anybody at, at the time when East was the option, but that's the first terminal that they're going to offer after the South Terminal in South Harbor, that is the CIC, the Chinese one. Uh, so when the East Terminal was actually offered in 2016, they called for bids. They called for bids and uh, there were a number of parties with international shipping companies, terminal operators, conglomerates of Sri Lanka getting together and bidding. And there was cabinet committee set up uh, to open up those bids. Uh, there are about four or five, five bids. Uh, but in 2018, uh, due to domestic political pressures, uh, the, the, the then president, Sisena, uh, completely put a U-turn and abandoned that whole process of calling for tenders and opening up the process for free bidding. So that was thrown out of the window at the 30th anniversary of the Sri Lanka Ports Authority. He said this port is going to be built by Sri Lanka and managed by Sri Lanka Ports Authority. So that was the beginning. Then towards end of his term, again, uh, uh, he turned another direction and said, we are going to build this terminal with a tri-party agreement, government to G2G to G agreement, that is Japan, India, and Sri Lanka, where Sri Lanka Ports Authority would hold 51% majority stake in the terminal, the sea terminal. At that time, the elections came, and um, I think uh, President Gotabi Rajapaksa's government, President himself wanted to go with that particular arrangement with Japan, uh, and uh, India and Sri Lanka together on the same arrangement. But within his own group, the legislature side, I think, 
had a different agenda and pushed him out of that decision. And he had to abruptly and rudely, uh, I would say rudely, kick out India and Japan and stop that project. And the unions played the key role in paralyzing that project. Because at that time, if Adani came with John Keels and uh, locally John Keels' partner, and then India and uh, other than Adani's India, Japan would have been partnering. Uh, that project would have been operational by uh, end of 2020. They, because Adani had already ordered cranes and they were accelerating. So the total terminal would have been operational uh, by end of 2020. So, which means Colombo lost about a two million containers per annum because of lack of that capacity. Then came this political blunder being rude to India. Uh, basically, it was abandoned overnight without even informing them. So it, I would look at it as a political uh, favor. They had to call it without tenders and decided to give East Container Terminal, West Container Terminal to Adani with a larger share to them, while Port Authority keeping, government keeping only 50, 15% and giving uh, Adani and John Keels 85%. So that's how the whole thing, yeah? so that project also will take another good two years to come. So Colombo is losing average a million containers a year for the next two, three years of business. So um, so right now, basically the West Terminal is coming up, though we're still losing, uh, and the ECT, the East Terminal, is under the Sri Lanka Ports Authority, and has that, and development is going? No, uh, development has got completely stuck because government yeah. is broke. Right, so they come little bit of development. They are using some of the three cranes that were brought to Jaya Container Terminal for another berth that is not suitable for the largest vessels. So they are using those and handling some containers. But the full terminal now, I, in my personal opinion, will take 2025 or 2026 if the government starts funding. If not, the president has mentioned that it might again go into a PPP, which should be the case uh, with Japan or some other party. Uh, but my biggest issue is that Colombo is not offering international ship owners partnerships. Who are our clients? Who are the people who actually bring the cargo and the ships are kept out of the equation due to various interventions by interested parties? Okay. So essentially, we need the FDI, and we need to bring the people who actually use it, the ship owners, into that FDI. Exactly. Companies like Maersk had clearly committed several times. Uh, not only Maersk, even Japanese companies, other. But we have kept, kept them out. So they have 800 million, 700 million dollar investments. We just kept them out. And they were the richest in the last three years. They were making a lot of money and they had a lot of extra cash. Uh, not only for terminal building, but they are willing to even come into Sri Lanka for backward integration into total logistics solutions. But again, the law prohibits them holding a 51% office of their own uh, because of the local environment is protectionist. Um, so outside Colombo, uh, for example, Hambantura, I think recently they've been talking about converting even improving the Gaul port for tourism. Uh, then you have the Oldville. Is Are there any other ports that we can look at? Like you said, Trincomalee, that investments can come in to increase our capacity? Yeah, the thing is, we should not be trying to develop all ports and try, we, we have to have a focus of developing. We have to have a master strategy. Oldville is a political port. It was built in 1990s when Colombo should have been developed. And today it cannot be used for any major vessels because there are what is called siltation. It's, it fills by sand. There was no proper uh, studies done uh, before. It was, it was a part, uh, totally a political project. Hambantara was also kind of a without no business plan, no feasibility done. So it was also done on a, I would say, rather political interest. 
uh, and then it, you know we all know what happened to it and now it is managed by china so china itself is holding it for 99 year period so for them they can afford to hold it even at losses uh, shipping industry doesn't want so many ports in the same island now trincomalee also has been talked about as an industrial port we have to get feasibilities done. We have to get our numbers right. We have to get international partners right. Same with Gold. They have been talking about yacht marinas for tourism and all that. There will be a lot of talk. Nothing really concrete has taken off. And there is no FDI is coming in at the moment, seriously. And they have also developing, with some Indian aid, uh, small port development in KKS. Uh, for that is a very small, not international trade, I, I would say, but between India and Sri Lanka, there might be some business development in the north, like the airport in KKS, it might have some small f arrangement. But for global shipping, like to be a Singapore or a Dubai or a Felix to or a Rotterdam, you need to focus on a couple of ports that would give you the full maritime activities and freedom for foreign ship owners to come and operate. Uh, if that environment is not created, um, Sri Lanka can be talking for another 20 years as it has been talking for the last 20 years. Yeah. I think the underlying theme is this problem of protectionism, essentially. Um, and before we shift to the second point you raised about why uh, how shipping lines can't come in, uh, shipping uh, basically agencies are protected in this and freight forwarding, uh, exactly what is the role these shipping agents play in the process? Yeah, so an uh, agent is a agent of a business owner, right? Whether it is you are bringing in any product, whether you are bringing a television, Sony, if you are agent of Sony, or the agent of Sony, right? You act according to the interest of the principal. So the actual partners of the port of any port is the ship owners who are not present in Sri Lanka. Now, if you go to Singapore, all the ship owners are there. If you go to UAE, all the ship owners are there because they are the decision makers, they are the policy makers, they are the people who own the money and the plan, right? Not anybody else. A third party cannot take their business and decide on investments, right? So in Sri Lanka, we lack that party. Then the second party that deals with actually the port is the, its customers. That is the exporters, importers, and the transshipment customers of India or exporters, importers of India or Bangladesh or the region. Those are the key parties that actually the Ports Authority deals with, technically. There are a lot of middlemen who are servicing them, right? We all take, ex as exporters, we take services of service providers, which are a necessary component in the supply chain. But that doesn't mean that they are the policy makers. Unfortunately, in Sri Lanka, a lot of ministers, except for people like Larita Tulat Mudali or late Larita Tulat Mudali or Ronnie Dimir, uh, others don't see that reality. They think these agents are the co-business of the activity of the port. They are the middlemen. They, so they are bit sitting between exporters, importers, and the ship owners, and they provide a service and earn commissions. Now, that is what is the model of the, whether it's a freight forwarding company or a, or a shipping agency company. So they tell what the ship owner wants, they do on behalf of the ship owner, they will arrange the documentation to operational parts in the port and all that. Uh, but they take a commission out of everything. Even transshipment, they take a commission. They really don't do anything today. Technology is there. You don't need office to run transshipment. You just need the facility. Uh, so that makes the ship owners are not part of the business ownership. I mean, any company, you know, when you run, 51% is the ownership of that uh, even agency business. 51% if the foreign company has it, they have the right in the board to take decisions. 
and control the costs, right? So in Sri Lanka, they are not allowed. So if, if you take other industries, whether it is banking, insurance, tourism, those areas are all opened up for foreign companies to come and have their own brands. That's why we have the Hilton brand, the Shangri-La brand, all that, they are, they are owned. So investment-based, of course. So you can convert those investments into different models. So Sri Lanka has this backward laws which doesn't entice the, actually the business owners to come and invest here. And government also is closing doors at terminals and various places also. So there is no, as I said at the start of this conversation, there is no focus on how to convert ourselves into a maritime or a logistics hub. Interestingly, the logistics industry of Sri Lanka is calling for liberalization. At the AGM also said, still the government is not opening up. Because there are other interests from within the, outside the logistics industry realizes that if you open up the logistics industry, then the next step will be the shipping industry. So they are blocking even the logistics industry opening up by lobbying with the politicians. While the industry association says, please open it up for foreign investors. That is because of the success story of short time liberalization of Expo Lanka Group. So um, I think there's some really good points you raised in terms of the need to liberalize and also um, the forces against it. Uh, but when we talk about this liberalization, what would be, uh, to put this into context, essentially, some of the gains we face, and then uh, on the other side, uh, what would be some of the losses, at least, that are claimed to happen if uh, we do move to make the reforms for liberalization? Yeah, so the, there are many claims which have been published in the reason that if you liberalize, this will happen. What I don't think we have to reinvent the wheel. We just look at Singapore. We just look at Dubai. We look at, look at India, which is 100% liberalized, right? Even Pakistan, UK, United States, Rotterdam, you name it, China. All China's requirement to liberalize is one vessel call per month from a shipping line, right? That is the rule they have put. Because they see when a ship comes, that is a foreign direct investment to the country. It's just not cargo. It brings in many other factors to investment or money into the system. So they look at China liberal, China's liberalization requirement is, if I have a shipping line, I, I have to bring one vessel per month. You can have your own office, right? So we don't have to invent the bill. None of those things, negative things that has been spoken around by our protectionists have happened in those countries. In fact, those countries have gone zillions of miles away from us and developed into developed maritime nations, right? Their turnovers are, the Jeballali Freeport turnover is 100 billion United States dollars for a year. The Freeport alone, so are foreign companies, right? So don't, so whole Sri Lanka's economy is now reaching down to about 72 billion or 75 billion dollars, right? One Jeballali free zone brings in. So those countries, the shipping and logistics sector brings in around 14 to 20% of GDP into the economy. Share. Sri Lanka is less than 2%. That is also coming out of the terminals. The only terminals that have been privatized, bringing in that turnover, uh, whereas the government terminals are not performing well. So both CICT and SAGT are doing well. So some people mix up saying that shipping is liberalized because the terminals are liberalized. Terminal business is completely something else. Right? Shipping is ship owner's business. Ship owners are prohibited in this country to have their own office with 51%. How can you expect the port city to have ship owners if, if they are bringing financial, if they are financial arms to Sri Lanka, having a minority share, who is the fool who is going to do that? <laughs> yeah, 
I think we've touched quite a bit on how important it is to remove the barriers, to go past that and liberalize that particular industry. Um, on the other point you're talking, the software aspect almost, um, you mentioned the port, uh, the Sri Lanka Port Authority's role. So my understanding is once again that here, um, they play multiple roles. They are own operator and even regulated, regulated to an extent. Yes. And in addition to that, they have shares in their competitors. Correct. So how does this affect that environment there? And kind of what changes do we need to make to make sure that that environment, one, is competitive and that it performs efficiently? Yeah, so, I mean, we see all the politicians nowadays after this economic debacle talking about government should not be in business. Simple as that, adapt it to the Port Authority because it's already in the national export strategy with the government of the current president who was prime minister brought in this strategy document for the national export strategy which has a vertical of, on logistics, how to make become a logistics hub. Uh, that has very clearly instructed the Port Authority get out of doing business and become a true landlord uh, and operate as a landlord operator and live from rent and business activities as, and taxes to the public of Sri Lanka rather than taking public money out and investing in loss-making institutions or inefficient investing. The sad part is that when some like port authorities making a profit. So when you are making a profit, nobody looks at it. They think oh, you are doing super well. Actually, the profitability should be 10 times higher. So that inefficiency is still there. There is the weaknesses, the leakages out of the system. The Port Authority doesn't have annual report as far as I know after nine, 2019 or 18. Right? It doesn't have, have published no annual report either. So in that context, even if you're a profitable public institution, you know it's not running at optimization, it's running because of there is a business, right? Continuous business and you're getting dividends out of two private terminals. So your coffers are being put filled in one account. Even the business business units are not separated out. It's one account that SLP has. Right? So everything goes down one drain, and that drain leaks out everything. So we've been telling uh, this to government to make it a, absolutely a PPP model. It can be multiple models we can decide. Uh, but it has to be a port authority itself has to be a landlord. Okay, so then um, kind of how briefly, kind of how would the structure be? The Port Authority moves to be a landlord, then uh, it stakes in the terminals, do they get removed? Uh, do we need another kind of the ministry to step in for oversight? How does the uh, all yes. these aspects work? So we have already given the model also because we don't have to reinvent the model. No, Singapore did it. Singapore has called Maritime MPA, Maritime Port Authority is the government body, that is the landlord. Then you have what's called PSA. They have created another company called Port of Singapore Authority. PSA goes into contracts with terminals. But MPA is the independent regulator. He has no business in the Port Authority. So we have told, don't reinvent the wheel, it's available. Just take it and adopt it. The existing, there are existing contracts with Tadani and um, so SLPM uh, will have to be re reworked to be a, like a PSA, investment arm of the MPA. Um, so they have this, uh, Singapore has also the Temasek model. In fact, in 2015, the current president's government, uh, the president's first page talks about Sri Lanka following the Temasek model. 
So we are always talking Singapore model, this model, but nothing works out. End of the day, we are wasting a lot of energy and time on our personal time to do for 20, for me, it's 20, 25 years we've been talking about these things. In 1997, when I took over the Shippers Council, 1999, as chairman, I said one day we might have to transship our boxes out of the third port if we don't do the right reforms at the right time. And I'm seeing that happening slowly, which is worrying because of the competition going around is so high. I mean, I didn't expect 2022 Sri Lanka to be the worst performing Indian Ocean transshipment hub. Of course, we had a domestic import barrier, but I provisional numbers tell me that our transshipment drop was about 4%, whereas Singapore held its status at 0.7% drop. India, same level, didn't drop. Bangladesh grew. Uh, Jawaharlal Nehru grew by 5.8%. Dubai grew by something like five point something. Uh, Salala grew by some five point something. So if you look at the trade level, trade pattern, our catchment area has grown, but we have grown, gone down. Why number of ship, uh, shipping lines calling Colombo, their routines have uh, reduced. Capacity issues, uh, policy issues, political issues, economic issues has led the port also to be a victim of it. So there is a danger that we will lose our competitiveness further if we don't do the reforms very fast. Um, thanks a lot, uh, Rohan. I think you've given us a really good idea why it's, one, it's so important, despite all this talk, that we need to take kind of immediate action and the three main areas that we can focus on uh, reforms. Um, so before we kind of wrap up, I just want to know if, from all of these, you could implement one reform uh, almost overnight, uh, what would that be? I will be opening up for liberalization for at least 51% for foreign uh, ship owners. And since the Logistics Association has called for total liberalization, I can't understand why policymakers are sitting on it. Get the logistics guys opened up because that is backward integration, right? That is warehouses, storage, trucking, you name it, e-commerce, all those happens with global multinationals like Amazons and all these guys, top operators, DHL, setting up big operations. Location gives that possibility to connect ARC, hub, all those things to be done. At least get the logistics sector first liberalized and give the ship owners 51%. I'm not taking that open the door for them for nothing. They have to come to certain criteria. For example, Maersk Line already brings 500,000 or 1 million containers a year to the port of Colombo. Now, isn't that the customer of Sri Lanka? If a guy is bringing 1 million transshipment containers, or 500,000 containers for that matter, if that cannot guy cannot open his own office in Sri Lanka, something completely strong with Sri Lankan policymakers. You can't expect them to bring $50 million and put it in a bank account, right? If unless the government gives you projects, right? That also they are willing to do that, right? They will do that. But to, to indirectly lock them out, the local agents are telling the government to bring, ask them to bring straight away $50 million, $100 million. You, they can buy five ships with that. They won't do like that overnight. When you liberalize, it's a gradual process. We call generally a locked economy. When you open it up, you call it the golf stick effect. There might be a slide downwards, and then it starts picking up. So these have been done in Singapore. These have been done in Dubai. It has been proven beyond doubt that foreign investors come when there is freedom to do business. Sri Lanka, we, you know the indexes. I know the indexes. Freedom to do business index. We are some hundreds. Right. So shipping is one area that has been completely kind of uh, locked out in the key area where the foreign officers are not here. So we need to get those two done. 
Of course, I am not saying parallelly we have to do the first terms border protection reforms, technological reforms. That also if we can get international PPPs to come and invest in technology and all that. And also on the terminal side, we need to get ship owners, others to come and uh, open up terminals, give them proposals to open up Trincomalee. It's just that opening up and government telling we are having these 100 projects. Come and invest. For example, before I close, I'll tell you, Dubai DP World is putting $3 billion into India to develop the logistics sector. $3 billion, it's official. Where is the money for call the hub and the location? Why isn't DP World coming to Sri Lanka? Somebody should question. If we are the hub, if we are the location, better than India, why should they put $3 billion, put, put $500 million to Sri Lanka? They are not. You must ask them why. Thank you very much, Rohan. I think you've given a really good insight into the shipping industry, its current status, and why reforms are really important in this. And thank you, everyone, for listening into this episode of the Reset Now podcast. Hope to see you on the next one. Thank you. You can listen to this podcast on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And remember to follow us on all our social media platforms for more exciting content. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to like, comment and subscribe. See you in the next episode.